a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL listeners. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And, Governor, it's been an emotional few minutes for us here at KSL, and I'm watching our texters. It's been emotional for them as well. They are sending in tributes for Dick Norse. We learned just a few minutes ago that the longtime Channel 5 anchor has passed at the age of 83, and I have been a little bit emotional, Governor. I worked with Dick for many, many years, and, you know, like so many others, you know, just trusted him, his credibility in the news. So your reaction this morning? Well, obviously, it's a it's a somber moment here at the at, at the headquarters at the at KSL um, for you who work so closely with him, but for all of us, uh, I I grew up in a house where KSL was what we did. It's what we watched. That's how I got connected to the uh, to the news of the day when I was when I was a kid. I, I mean, he he was an institution. Uh, I, I think he over forty years that he was on air, uh, second longest broadcaster in the nation. Uh, I, I, you know, growing up, it was him and, uh, Bob Welty and, Mm -hmm. and Paul James, James, right? Yeah. Those, those Mm -hmm. three guys, that's my, I mean, my entire life until, you know, that, that's, that's all I knew. And, uh, and so he, uh, he's, he's been the face of, of Utah news, uh, every, every breaking news, every, every big thing that happened over the course of his life. I I mean, a guy who went to, uh, to Vietnam, uh, for, uh, to, to interview Utahns uh, before I was born, but I saw those clips, uh, many years later and it was, it was impactful. And so these, uh, um, this is this is a a hard day for uh, obviously harder for for those of you who were were so close to him but but it, an institution in Utah has passed on and I think uh, I think your texters I think all of us I'm you know today I'm I'm not not the governor when, when it comes to him I'm just the kid who sat with my my parents every night and and listened to his voice that that deep kind of lion voice that uh, that that brought me the news and and kept me interested in current events. Right. I mentioned, too, as you walked in, like today, I'm just me, too, because it's hard to be objective when someone close to you, someone in the KSL family has passed on. It, it, it is, um, and and again, somebody that had such a kind of an outsized influence on all of us, right? Obviously, an outsized influence on you. And 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 I, I will tell you, the the thing that impresses me the most, Maria, uh, about Dick, it's it's not how long he was on TV, it's not uh, how you know, kind of how larger than life he was for me and everybody who was here in Utah, but it's the reaction of the people that knew him best, uh, because that says to me that he was, uh, he was, uh, a good person, um, 
with everybody that he interacted with. You know, I, I've met him. Uh, I, I didn't interact with him much by the time I was Lieutenant governor, he had retired, but, uh, but he's, again, he's still the, the face of, of, of this institution of KSL and, and, uh, but to see you and your colleagues and, uh, just the impact that his, his loss has on, on you tells me everything I need to know about, uh, about Dick Norris. A very thoughtful, sensitive, caring person. And I've enjoyed interacting with him on Facebook since he retired. So, Governor, this is the hour that our listeners have with you to really address the important issues of the day in the state of Utah. Yesterday, the legislature went ahead and um, extended your emergency declaration for flooding. Um, So start out and just describe what exactly that means, where that money will go, and what you're most concerned about. Sure. And uh, and by the way, if callers just want to call in and tell stories about how amazing Dick Norris is too, I would love to hear those. Um, I'm grateful for the the legislature who was able to help us. There were a couple things that we needed to do with with that money. Uh, One, we we spent more money than we had anticipated on snow plowing and avalanche control. And that was to be expected when you have a record year. And so the the legislature was able to move some money into uh, those categories to help us. We were able to get an, an additional uh, allocation of money to help with the, the flooding that's happening across the state, to be able to reimburse cities and towns who are expending more than uh, than than usual uh, for for the floods that are happening out there. And and I'm just very grateful for the legislature. They they extended the uh, the the emergency declaration that I issued. Uh, they they gave us a, a 90 day extension on that, which will be very helpful as well as we. We continue to fight uh, these these floods. Working with the federal government, um, it's it's a it's a great problem to have after years and years of drought. Uh, we'll we'll take it, but it's it's still an issue. The, uh, the the next couple of weeks will really challenge some of our infrastructure, especially in central and northern Utah. Most of the runoff in southern Utah is is, is completed, uh, but the northern Utah runoff uh, we're we're probably only about halfway there in in many places. So a lot of water still left to come down, uh, but uh, but we're uh, we're working very close with our, our colleagues, our emergency uh, managers across the state to make sure that we're keeping people safe. As a part of that legislation, the legislature is asking you for you to keep them updated regularly. Describe what is behind that. Are, are you being punished for things that happened during COVID or what exactly is happening there? Oh, no, no. Great, great question. And, and no, no, no punishment at all. Uh, in fact, uh, we had planned to give them regular updates regardless of whether that was included or not. I probably would have updated them more often than every 30 days. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's really important for people to understand that, uh, that emergency powers are legislative powers that they've delegated to the executive branch, and and I guard those palace those powers very very jealously uh, because they are their powers, and I, I that means I, I I should not overuse them. I should be very cautious, and when I do use them, I should communicate regularly with the legislature, which we do. Uh, if you were to ask the speaker and president if they were here today, they would say that there are no issues whatsoever. Um, we're we're in good shape. Certainly, there there are people out there who are concerned about emergency powers, and uh, we we. Saw Saw that uh, I, I think there were some abuses in 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 some states uh, and and maybe at the federal government level as well. I think we've done a pretty good job here in the state of Utah, and we'll continue to do so. And, and, and so, uh, updating the legislature is critical. It's it's part of, of of what my my job is. It's part of what we tried to do as a as an executive branch over the past couple of years. And so uh, we 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 actually encourage them to add that in there so that it would um, assuage any fears that anybody else might have. 
challenging season. We've had flooding concerns. We have landslide concerns. Utah Geological Survey has said that they are uh, very concerned about this kind of updating or uh, saying that they are more concerned about it, rather. So what keeps you up at night when you hear some of these things and them saying, hey, the risk is greater than we thought? Yeah, there, there, there's so many things that keep me up at night. It's it's part of being governor, but uh, mostly I'm grateful for the, the people that we have in place. We've been preparing for this because the the, the nice thing about this type of, uh, of emergency, this type of natural disaster is that you can see it coming, right? We knew that there was uh, an excess of water in those mountains, um, 30 inches. Uh, 26 is the greatest we've ever recorded. So to have 30 inches of water in that snowpack on the mountain, we knew what was coming. So we, we have been preparing for this. Uh, we, we've, we got $5 million ahead of time so that we could be ready for this. And uh, we're watching those, those uh, you mentioned the U.S. Geological Survey. We're watching those landslides very closely. Um, we can anticipate with temperatures the amount of water that's coming down, and we've done a pretty good job of doing that, getting sandbags where they need to go. But landslides are a little trickier. Um, we can see them starting. They move very slowly. If they move, if they move quickly, like Thistle happened, uh, you know, 40 years ago, people remember remember the big landslide in Thistle that dammed off water. Those things worry me because there's usually very little uh, um, notice. And uh, in that case, what happened was it dammed off a river. Then the water backs up behind the river, and eventually that dam breaks, and then you can wash away Spanish Fork, right? Mm-hmm. That was the, the, the concern back then. So, so those things certainly uh, make me concerned. We are monitoring over 100 landslide prone areas right now in the state. Uh, and uh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll sleep a lot better once all of that snow is, is in our reservoirs. You mentioned how you will regularly update the legislature, but maybe you could describe what happens behind the scenes and how you find out about the latest information on landslides and flooding potential. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. So we have a system of emergency managers across the state. And uh, of course, uh, I have a commissioner of public safety and all of those entities report back and then report up to him. And and we have have all of our emergency managers who are working on this. I, I get an update every single day. So when I wake up in the morning, there is an email in my inbox that talks about every region of our state, every place that is flooding, every place that there's a concern with a dam breaching or uh, or a landslide, and I review that. So so I'm getting updates every single morning. And then if something happens during the course of the day, if, if something moves a little quicker, um, that's immediately reported back. Uh, we have an emergency operations center that it, it, it is um, you know a little bit like the military. There are varying degrees of uh, of operations happening so as things get a, a little more a little more tenuous a little more dicey we, we up the level on that uh, and and we're, we're at a high level now uh, and and so they are constantly monitoring we have cameras that are being put out in different areas to monitor uh, d- dams and and uh, and bridges um, w- w- there, there's one we're watching very closely down in Spanish Fork uh, th- there's a bridge that, that i-15 travels over where the Spanish Fork River uh, goes on under towards Utah Lake, and it has been within six inches of of, of the top of that that bridge, and shutting down I-15 obviously would be one of the most concerning things that we could do in the state. So that's one we've been watching very, very closely. Uh, and uh, and so I'm, I'm getting updates uh, very regularly. I'll probably get a, a, a couple updates while we're sitting here talking. All right. Phone calls are starting to come in. Text questions are coming in. The number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. We'll be right back. 
a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Get your questions answered by Governor Spencer Cox. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Again, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. And let's go to our phone lines. Ari is on the line from Draper. And good afternoon, Ari. What is your question? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I know the governor is someone that still values facts. And I just, I just wanted to cite a couple of them. You know, there's in this country, I think there's somewhere, you know, one knows the exact number between 400 and 450 million guns, you know, per capita. Um, we have, I think, twice as many guns per capita as, as the nearest nation, and that's the peaceful nation of Yemen. Um, you know, we, we account for about 4% of the world's population, you know, some 35% of, um, you know, global firearm suicides, and then we're about... If you live in this country, as you and I do, Governor, you're about 25 uh, times more likely to be killed in a gun homicide than people in other high-income countries. You know, I, often, I know you often lament, um, and, and somewhat appropriately so, that politics has become our God and not, you know, God, you know, him or herself. Um, you know, I would argue that for Republicans, besides attacking democracy, um, the only God it seems to matter is, is um is guns. Um, and there just seems to be no willingness to address the, you know, the epidemic, um, you know, the epidemic of gun deaths in this country, mass murders, everything else, suicides. Um, you're 25 times more likely um, to die, you know, from a, a gun than other countries, even in countries, you know, that people perceive as, you know, as having issues like Israel, you're some 12 times more likely to die from a gun in this country than you are in Israel and some 50 times the case in the UK. So, you know, what will it take um, um, for Republicans to abandon their God um, guns? Thank you. Uh, Ari, thanks for the question. And, uh, and certainly um, share, share your concern about the, uh, the, the tragic uh, deaths that we've seen across the country. Uh, some of the, the very high profile ones, uh, recently that, uh, that have been devastating to, to communities. And, uh, I, I think this is something that, that every state and, uh, and, and of course our federal government is trying to grapple with. And I, I, I wish I had better answers. Uh, it, this is, uh, back to the earlier segment. One of the things that, that certainly keeps me up at night. Um, I'm, 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 we, we do have a second amendment here. And I think in Utah, we've, 
tried to uh, figure out how to balance those Second Amendment rights with uh, with keeping people safe. And I believe in the Second Amendment. I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment. Uh, but with that Second Amendment comes responsibility as well. And I, I fear we are losing that as a nation. I, I've shared this before. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we uh, we. I had a gun in my vehicle almost every day my junior and senior year of, of high school. I would, I would take the, the truck to school. I, I would have my shotgun, uh, my twenty two or my thirty out six, depending on what, what the hunting season was that year. Um, and, and yet we had a, a very deep respect for for those those weapons. We were we were trained. Uh, we were we were taught that you never pointed a, a weapon at uh, at anything or anyone uh, unless you were again actively hunting. Uh, there was a there was a, a responsibility that went along with that. And and I think we've we uh, we're sadly losing that in in kind of a gun culture. In, uh, in red states and blue states, I think uh, we're, we're seeing that uh, across the board and it's, it's leading to some tragic consequences. There, uh, there, there are some things that we're trying to do uh, in this state to keep people safe. Uh, I, I will, again, always work to protect the Second Amendment, but there, uh, we, we, are, we, we are working. We, we just passed, it didn't get a lot of attention, but the most comprehensive school safety bill that we, we have had in our, our state's history, um, a new position that will be working with schools uh, Every school in the state to implement best practices in in those schools. Uh, we have seventy million dollars for additional resources and resource officers in in those schools. We have the Safe UT app, which has been uh, a significant uh, help to local schools and law enforcement officials to uh, to make sure that we're doing more to uh, to keep our our schools safe. But I, I certainly hope that uh, that again the the root causes. I'm, I'm very interested in the root causes. What are leading people to take these heinous acts? Those you know those guns just just didn't go out and start shooting people. Um, what is it that is is causing that? We've seen a significant increase in uh, in mental health concerns across the the country. We've been working. You mentioned suicide. You brought that up several times. Of course, that's a big issue for the state of Utah. Um, we 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 have been working on this. Uh, Governor Herbert asked me to start the the Governor Suicide Prevention Task Force, the first of its kind in our state. We've been working with the legislature over the course of the past six years uh, to to change that that piece and to get more resources and help available. I, I saw just this week we've moved. We were when we started that task force, we were fifth in the nation for the number of, of suicides per capita. Now we're fourteenth in the nation, so we're we're heading the right way. But one of the reasons we're you know we're improving there is because other states are getting worse. And so um, there's a lot more that we have to do there. And I, I appreciate your concern. Uh, our first texter actually is asking about mental health, Governor, and they want to know when you're going to do something about mental health. Uh, what else can like, we do, wh- Governor? Wh- well, this person, are we going to start doing something about they, <laughs> Well, their, their focus is on prevention. Well, they would sure. say they're, they're pushing for more prevention and they're wondering what you can do. Yeah, I, 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 hope, I hope you would uh, pay attention. See, again, this is the problem that happens. We, we passed 575 bills and people only pay attention to five of them because those were the controversial ones. You've missed probably the 40 bills and, uh, and millions and millions and millions of dollars that we've put toward mental health care in this state. Uh, I just yesterday I was meeting with uh, with some of our team that are are looking at the entire mental health care system in our state and uh, and how we can realign that in ways that will help people uh, help help more people get more uh, get get more access to mental health care and uh, and make sure we're getting be- better mental health care. So so yeah, uh, uh, what what I would encourage you to do is is to go and and look at um, the the several bills that passed this year. We are creating new resource centers. 
monitors throughout the state. We've got several of them up. These are tens of millions of dollars for each one. Uh, these are access centers. Think about uh, when, when your child wakes up sick in the middle of the night and you take them to a, an urgent care, right? A 24-hour facility where you can go and check in and get help. We're, we're building those types of facilities for mental health care in our state as well. So um, there has never been more done uh, than we've done over the past five years. And I would put what we've done over the past five years up against any other state. Still a long ways to go, but we're heading in the right direction. We have just a couple of minutes till the bottom of our uh, our news. And I want to ask the ne- next text question. This person would like to hear your take on smart cities and your vision for uh, the type of community down in Draper at the old prison site. Sure. Well, this this term smart cities, I, I don't know what it means. There's, there's a guy out there who claims that smart cities are digital concentration camps. So there's this big conspiracy theory around mm-hmm. smart cities. Uh, I haven't what, heard uh, that one. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's a new one and it's a doozy. But uh, w- w- what I can tell you is happening at the point of the mountain is uh, – it's a very public process. Obviously, we we have uh, we've moved the prison. That was uh, that was the idea. Um, the there is a board that has been put together. Uh, there was an RFP that was held, and uh, a, a developer that won that RFP is is very engaged in designing what that will look like. And, and the whole idea is to make it um, again one of the most. I, I hope it will be one of the most visited spots in in Utah after our, our national parks and Temple Square that people will come and. Uh, and see this place. And, and the idea is that it will host, um, th- there will be housing there. Uh, there will be an entertainment district there. So think uh, p- potentially sports, think uh, um, c- certainly uh, concert venues and and, uh, and movie venues, places where people can go. There will be open space uh, where people can go and, and recreate as well. And then there will be a core of, of businesses that, that get to move in there because there there is no other opportunity like this anywhere in the country. Right now, we've heard that over and, and maybe in the world over and over again, where you have 700 acres of uh, of green space that uh, that has uh, that, that has infrastructure, has two freeways on both sides. It is a, an incredible opportunity. My my only concern is that we'll think a little too small on, on this one. Um, and uh, it, this is the the idea again is that these businesses and we we have had businesses saying yes, we want to have our headquarters there, we want to build there a place where people can. And work and, uh, and and people can recreate and people can have the amenities that they need uh, very very close to them and it's going to be um, it, it, there's a lot to look forward to it's going to be a really positive development for the the state of Utah. All right, we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. You are listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Number to call with your questions five seven five eight two five five. You can also text us at five seven five zero zero. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL listeners. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor, the number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text at 57500. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Nick is on the line in West Jordan, and good morning, Nick. What is your question? Hi, uh, Governor. So as a moderate Republican, I'm concerned with some of the trends that I'm seeing in in, in other red states. Um, you know, and especially in Florida, where they've kind of developed this mentality of what goes to die, uh, to quote DeSantis down there. And I'm concerned that, you know, starting our next legislative session, that we are going to develop that mentality here, too. And as a moderate, 
I just want to make sure that you know everybody has a chance to be heard that we're that we're making sure that we're compromising and so I want to know kind of like what's being heard or what we're doing to prevent that mentality from from gaining traction in Utah. Nick, thanks for the question. I, I'm sure there are, there are some listeners that agree with you and, and probably some listeners who uh, who disagree with you. And, and I think one of the things that we try to do here in the state of Utah, at least I've tried really hard, is to be inclusive in our process and, and to bring people to the table and, and to uh, try to find the best result. Not not the, you know, I, I, I'm not the governor of just Republicans, although I am a conservative Republican, but I'm the governor of everyone and, and want to make sure that those voices are heard. We've worked really closely with the legislature. Uh, obviously, they are a separate and, and independent branch of government, as they should be. Uh, they, uh, they, they do invite testimony on hearings and, and various issues. I've, I've tried to, uh, to add to that and augment that whenever I can in, in positive ways. And, and I think we've done a much better job of coming to, uh, to a, a better end result when, when more people are involved. And uh, I think there are some, some really great examples of that over the, uh, the past few years. And, and, we'll, and we'll continue to do that. Um, I, I have a a, a deep respect and a great working relationship with the legislature. I agree with them most of the time. Uh, so sometimes I don't. And, and when we don't, we, we try to find ways to work through those problems. But uh, I do think that what you said is key. Um, and, and I would say that regardless of whether you're a moderate or a, an ultra conservative or, or extremely liberal. And that is we are, we are better off when we collaborate. We're better off when we work together. We're better off if we can try to find solutions that, uh, that, that, that more people can agree on. There will be times, and there are times, when, when we just can't agree. Uh, and in that case, I hope that we will, uh, e- even if we do something that, uh, that, that is disappointing or that, that some disagree with, that we will do so in a way that shows dignity and, uh, and respect. And that, that, I think, is, is one, something that's lacking in much of the national debate right now, and especially in the culture war areas, which I think that's, that's kind of what you're referring to there, um, that, that we can disagree without hating each other, that we can disagree better. Uh, I, I believe, as, as a friend of mine says, there's nothing more un-American than hating our fellow Americans. And, uh, and in fact, you're going to hear me talking a little bit more about that o- over the course of the next year as I get a chance to, uh, to work with 49 other governors as the chair of the National Governors Association, uh, this, this idea of disagreeing better, this idea of disagreeing without hating each other. I, I think it's core to who we are as Americans. I think it's core to the, the survival of our country. Um, it, this country was founded on profound disagreement. I don't think we should all just get along in, in that we have to agree on everything. I think that's a mistake. Um, I, I really think we're better off when, when we disagree, but we disagree the, uh, the, the right ways. And so uh, I don't always get that right. Um, I, uh, I, I sometimes, you know, I, I sometimes get a little belligerent and uh, a, a little, uh, a little little strong-headed, and I need to be reminded of that too. But we're we're certainly trying, and I hope you'll see that next legislative session as well. Governor, this week uh, you joined 23 other Republican governors in supporting Texas Governor Greg Abbott's hardline border security policies. So describe why you felt the need to do so and how Utah might support those efforts. Yeah, so I've been very frustrated with immigration. In fact, uh, earlier today, uh, this is uh, back to our back to Nick, our previous caller. Um, I got a little uh, I got a little fired up and I'm mad at Congress. I'm mad at Congress because they've uh, they've abdicated their responsibilities when it comes to uh, immigration over the past 40 years. I'm mad at the, the current administration and past administrations because they've dropped the ball 
when it comes to immigration. It's it's very frustrating. I think I I think I called Congress uh, all imbeciles and that they uh, they should all be fired. I obviously didn't mean that. We have some amazing members of Congress here in the uh, in the state of Utah. Some of my dear friends that I love. Uh, this is more of a forty year frustration. Uh, Utah passed comprehensive uh, immigration reform uh, before I was in the legislature 10, 11 years ago, however long it's been, and uh, and and the Obama administration wouldn't allow us to implement it, and then the Trump administration wouldn't allow us to implement it. So it's uh, it's very frustrating. This is not hard. It's not hard. It, it just it just isn't hard. And and Governor Abbott is absolutely uh, w- within his his rights and responsibilities to be very upset with uh, with what's happening down there. And I I feel so bad for our border states. I, I don't know how they do it. Uh, you you you. We are an ordered nation, and and you you cannot just introduce that level of chaos there. And one of the reasons there's so much chaos at the border is because legal immigration is broken. And so it's again, it's 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 not that hard of a fix, guys. It it really isn't. Um, secure the border and fix legal immigration. Uh, there are lots of proposals to do that. If you if you let the governors do this, we could solve this in in a day. Uh, and yet, too many too many politicians out there get reelected by um, by using immigration as a wedge issue and inviting issue. And it's it's one of those rare areas where Republicans and Democrats actually agree, just uh, just not the politicians, because uh, solving it would uh, w- would make it harder for them to get reelected. You've given your vocal support of this. Is yeah. there anything else the state of Utah yeah, can so do? Yeah, we, so we had um, – our National Guard was there last year. So we, we've taken a turn down there. Um, and, and boy, our, I, I just have to give a shout-out to our National Guardsmen and women. They, uh, they, those, uh, those, those citizen soldiers have, have worked so hard. And uh, over the past couple of years, we've called on them more than at any time in our state's history. And so we'll, uh, we'll be monitoring, uh, having conversations as governors to see uh, who, what's needed, who's sending what. Uh, and uh, and again, vocalizing those concerns with the hope, hopefully, with the administration that will uh, that will send some more resources and pay attention down there. Uh, but but they they uh, they they know we have their that they have our support, and uh, what that looks like will be determined on uh, what the um, you know you know what what's happening on the border as those numbers increase or decrease over the next few weeks. Border security impacts us all as a country, yeah. but is there anything specifically specific impacts that we see here in Utah? It, sure. Look, um, I, I like to say we're we're uh, we're all border states right now, and, and the the uh, the immigrants that are coming across aren't just staying there, right? Um, they come here, and uh, and and they're taxing some of our our systems. We Utah is is so big hearted, and and uh, we we want to help. We want to help refugees, and we have helped refugees. I I don't know any state in the nation that has stepped up more than the state of Utah over the past uh, over the past ten years when it comes to helping our refugees. But uh, many many of these migrants migrants are coming to other states. They're coming to Colorado. They're coming to New York. They're coming to Utah. And, uh, and so when they get here, you know, what, what, what do we do? Well, we have some resettlement agencies here. We have a lot of nonprofits that are really stepping up to help. Uh, but uh, but but it just puts pressure on all of the system, right? We're we're already short on housing, and we're working to increase housing in the state. But that makes it very difficult. Um, and so it, it's just it's just a terrible, terrible, terrible system, terrible situation. And everybody knows it needs to be fixed. And uh, and sadly, the people with the power to fix it aren't aren't interested. All right. Jacob is on the line in Spanish Fork. Good afternoon, Jacob. What is your question? Yes, I was wondering what happened to the bill about uh, gun rights and getting your rights back after three years of committing felonies. 
Yeah, Jacob, great question. Uh, thanks for that. I, I think you're referring to uh, House Bill 507. Uh, that, that bill did eventually pass. It, it was signed into law, but there, there were some changes made to that, I, I believe. If my memory serves me correctly, you'll, you'll need to, to, uh, to look this up and, and check it out. I think, it's, I think it's a seven-year process that you have to go through. Um, it, it's not in all cases. Not all felonies qualify. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a process that you have to go through to, uh, to make that happen happen. So uh, I, I would encourage you to look out and, uh, and get those details. But that's, that's my recollection of that is, is that it's, it was, uh, it's, it's a seven-year process and uh, only in, in certain circumstances. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with more of your calls. The number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Governor Spencer Cox is taking your questions right now. Call 801-575-8255 or text him at 57500. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox, taking your calls right now, 801-575-8255. Jay is on the line in Murray, and good afternoon. Good afternoon. I can't speak today. I got all emotional with Dick Norris, and now nothing. <laughs> None of the words are coming out properly, Governor. Uh, good afternoon, Jay. What is your question? Yeah, I'm just curious as to why we decided to fly the, the new state banner over the Capitol when it's not really the state banner until 2024. What made that – who made that decision to fly the – you know, instead of the old one, which is still current and – relevant until next year. Yeah, Jay, uh, g- good question. Um, it's it's one I I, uh, I had to ask and and figure out. Uh, I- important to note that the uh, that that the the current flag, the uh, the historical flag, is still flying over the state capitol and will always fly over the state capitol as as long as I'm the governor. I, uh, I issued an executive order um, earlier this year that would require the uh, the 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 historic flag with the historic seal to fly over the state capitol at all times. So uh, so just to be very clear. That that is still flying there. There is uh, there is a group called the Capital Preservation Board, and uh, it, it is made up of uh, of legislators. Uh, I, I do not sit on that board, but uh, that board they are the ones that make all of the decisions at the Capitol and the Capitol grounds. So any you know all of the statues that you see there, um, anything related to flags, those are decisions that are made there. And, and my understanding is that they they voted to uh, to uh, to put the flag up. There there's nothing in the law that prevents that from happening. Any Anybody can fly the flag at any time. Uh, the the only thing in the law right now, and again, this is an executive order that I issued, says that the uh, that the the historic flag has to fly on the state capitol, and uh, that the new flag will always fly below the historic flag on the state capitol, so that the uh, the historic flag with the historic seal will always take precedent over the uh, over the new flag. So I, I hope that clears up any uh, misperceptions. There's a lot of people out there that are saying that the old flag is going away. Um, I don't know why they. We've decided to, to to share that. That's just not true. Um, this idea that the old flag has been replaced and is going away—it's not. Uh, anyone can fly it at, at any time, and uh, it's it's been great to see a whole bunch of people who never paid any attention to the state flag suddenly get really interested in it. And I, I love seeing uh, more of the uh, the historic flag flying across our state. Uh, it's also fun for those who like the new flag to see that flying in some places as well. 
Governor, our next listener would like to know what can be done about gas prices. We all want to know this question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I, can the state do about gas I, prices? I wish they let the governor do something right? about gas prices. We we would have done it a long time ago. There there are some downsides to having the best economy in the in the nation and uh, and a rapidly growing state. Um, what the the biggest issue is is refining of of product. So we. Uh, our refineries here in the state of Utah are at maximum capacity. So they are refining as much gasoline as they possibly can. They, they just can't do anymore. And it is not enough to provide gasoline for all of our state, which means that, uh, there are, that, that more and more gasoline has to be brought from outside the state and transporting that gasoline here adds to the expense of it. And, and, and so you'll, you'll see that uh, in, in places that, are, that, uh, that have uh, very strong economies. You'll also see it, uh, state that are closer to California also have higher gas prices because of, of many of the rules and regulations uh, in California. Not that this gas has to go through those same rules and regulations, but there is a natural pull as they are importing more and more gas that increases the refining process in, in other states as well. And all of that leads us to a place where uh, our gas prices are higher than some other places. Um, the obvious answer is to, uh, is to increase refining capacity. Uh, Refineries are incredibly expensive. I, I mean, we're talking billions of dollars, and and people again in the market that have that kind of money, um, they're they're not really interested in building new refineries because we have a federal government that uh, that is constantly hammering on on oil and gas, and and so they're not going to put you know billions of dollars into something that that won't bring returns for twenty or thirty years. When you have a federal government saying you know we we want everybody off of uh, of, of gasoline in the next ten. Years, so it, it makes it really, really difficult for those states that are cu- caught in the middle. Uh, we're still having those conversations. We pushed back on permitting reform uh, just yesterday. I was on with uh, with uh, a member of the White House, uh, working very hard with a bipartisan group of gov- governors to encourage them to uh, to increase uh, g- gas leases, uh, oil and gas leases in our in our state and, and across the uh, across the country because that's another piece of this as well. But but that's the that's the best answer I can give. All right. Jay is on the line in American Fork. Uh, good afternoon, Jay. What is your question? Yes, Governor. Thank you for taking uh, our phone calls and texts today. One question I had is just in regards to, there's a bill this past year um, in regards to having possibly having all state employees become at-will employees. I'm wondering if that will, maybe that option will come up again. And if so, if you support that or what would be the pros and cons of that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, great question. Uh, this is one I haven't been asked about too much. So over the past couple of years, we we have passed several bills that have moved more and more state employees to an at will status. Um, and and in conjunction with that, by the way, completely voluntary, where the employee gets to choose, and uh, and there is a pay increase that comes with that change in in status to becoming at will. So it's been it's been an opportunity for us to get some more uh, some more dollars to our, our wonderful state employees. Um, and uh, and then and then giving them that opportunity to uh, to make that choice. I will tell you, it has been very popular um, it, w- with those uh, occupations, those jobs where we have given them that choice. Uh, about ninety percent of them have taken it. Um, I, I I like it for for lots of reasons. Again, it, it allows us um, to uh, to give give a pay increase. Um, it, it allows our, our employees and uh, and our supervisors to be uh, to to be more responsible. It allows us to. Uh, 
um, in our reviews to incentivize the the best parts of the job and make sure we're getting the best employees possible. And so I I, I think it's a win win. Um, the downside is again for employees if you're you're asking for kind of a downside, it does make it easier for uh, for uh, employment termination. Um, it, it but it makes it makes state government jobs just like every other job in in the state of Utah. And I I think that's a that's a positive thing um, that we uh, we reward the the best performers. And uh, in those very rare cases where we have some really bad performers, it, it makes it a little easier to uh, to move on from from the the worst employees. But it's uh, we we've done it a, a couple times, and again, it's been very very well received. Uh, you, you haven't seen. I mean, there we haven't just terminated people that 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 was never part of the never the intention. And I think those that have been on it for a couple of years would report back that it's been it's been very positive. Governor, next listener would like to know your thoughts on the growing gang situation. Is there a growing gang situation, Governor? What is your perspective on gangs? I good question. Uh, do we have gangs in the state? Yes, um, we do for for sure. Um, this has been a problem for for decades. Uh, we we have uh, we have amazing law enforcement officials throughout the state. We have uh, we have great partners in, in local government as well. We have gang uh, task force units that that work um, that that try to infiltrate these gangs and and prevent. Uh, again, the worst things from happening. I, I don't know that it's a growing problem, uh, other than we are a growing state, and and so everything, uh, of course, is growing. And uh, it, again, I'm not saying there isn't an issue. I'm, there there is an issue, uh, but we have great people that are working on it, and we're we're constantly trying to improve and uh, and eliminate gang violence here in the state of Utah. All right, Bud is on the line in Tory. Good afternoon, Bud. What is your question? Oh, hi. Are you there, Governor Cox? I, I am, Bud. Hi, this is Bad Bud Pace from Torrey, Utah. Are you truth or are you eternal darkness? Because Torrey Town broke the law, husband's employee flying drugs in Utah, Christopher Heiser, Russell M. Nelson's general temple coordinator, death threat guy, is called the second coming. But I, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. Uh, it seems like you might need to uh, to to get a little uh, get get a little help out there. I hope you're doing okay, and and uh, I hope you find some joy. Uh, next listener, Governor, um, let me see, where are we here? Uh, they want to know what is uh, being done to get a freeway from east to west and the southern end of the Salt, of Salt Lake County between, say, 106 and 134th. Is there any plans for that? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, that, that, that's a good plan, a good question, and uh, and something that we are working on. So so UDOT has been working, again, as we, we look at some of these east-west corridors and, and some of the issues that are, that are out there. Um, I, I know we had a texter who was who was interested in uh, Pioneer Crossing, Lehigh and Saratoga Springs, as we as we and then as we head into the the southern end of the Salt Lake Valley. There's been so much development in those areas, and, and, and of course, that translates into more traffic. We do traffic studies every year. Year, and it was really remarkable. Um, if, you, if you look kind of down at the Lehigh area and then uh, the, the southern part of this valley, most of those corridors weren't supposed to be at capacity until 2028 and 2029, and they were at capacity in 2018, just uh, you know, 10 years ahead of uh, ahead of uh, the the uh, the intended timing there. So um, there there are some big improvements.
units that are planned in, in that part of the state, uh, 2100 North in that area with, with construction likely beginning in 2026. We're trying to work on our east-west corridors. Um, one of the challenges is that, of course, that east-west uh, travel can be very difficult. There are local homeowners who are trying to access developments in, in Lehigh. We have Saratoga Springs and Eagle Mountain. Of course, we have the growth that is happening out at Harriman as well. Um, so we're uh, lots of changes that are happening out there. Uh, again, in northern Utah County, UDOT is planning to convert 2100 North to a freeway that will really improve the traffic flow there. Uh, and and so uh, we we are constantly designing and redesigning these areas, trying to keep up with the uh, the growth that's out there. One minute left here, Governor. The last question for you. This person's wondering if Utah could allow tiny house communities for seniors who have a limited income. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, I've been very interested in in the the tiny house uh, movement out there. We're, we actually have a, a project that we're working on with with Salt Lake City, tiny houses for some of our, our homeless population, some deeply affordable housing. I think we're going to learn a lot from that. Um, I, I would love to see it more extensively. I would love to see cities and towns get a little more creative with some of their uh, so some of their their growth and uh, and some of their decisions around zoning to see if we couldn't make things much more less expensive for new families and for our seniors. All right, headed anywhere fun for vacation, Governor? I I wish uh, we we have a trade mission. We're, we'll head to the Paris Air Show, um, which is really important to us. It's the biggest air show in the world, and we have uh, we have the fastest growing aerospace industry in the country. So it's not a vacation; it's a lot of work, but uh, a very a very great part of the world to do a little work. Wonderful. Thanks, Governor. Thank you. Have a nice summer. We'll see you next month for Let Me Speak to the Governor. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.